On this episode of the BYO Nano Brew Podcast, we're excited to kick off this new show, and I talk with Brew Your Own Magazine publisher Brad Ring on the current state of nano brewing in the United States and what it means for drinkers. Finance expert Audra Grazunez talks about understanding basic financial literacy in the wake of recent closures of breweries in the industry that you might have thought as successful, why understanding the cash flow statement is paramount to running your small business. And I sit down with David Levesque of Colorado's Launchpad Brewing to talk about going pro, keeping nearly 30 beers on tap, and growing from a one and a quarter barrel system up to five barrels, but still maintaining that home brewer mentality. This is John Hall, and I'm excited to be your host and to help brew your own magazine, the source that gives you scientifically sound information in an entertaining format that never loses sight of the how-to mission it was founded on, enter this format. This monthly podcast will feature insights, commentary, and interviews with professionals who are here to help you make better beer and to understand how to successfully run a business. And we're sponsored by Yakima Valley Hops. Yakima Valley Hops is your hop source. Whether you're brewing 10 gallons or 10 barrels, get all the hops you want when you want them. They source the highest quality hops from both the Yakima Valley and premium growing regions around the world so that you have access to the largest hop portfolio possible. Even the impossible to find varieties like Citra, Nelson Savin, and Galaxy. Retail orders go to yakimavalleyhops.com or for wholesale, spothops.com. And save the dates on your calendar for this year's NanoCon, taking place in San Diego, November 6th and 7th. Full program details on the two days of brewing and business seminars targeted for nano breweries are already up and running or in planning, and they will be released at nanocon.beer this March. Hi, and welcome to the BYO Nano Brew Podcast. I'm John Hall. I'm excited to be hosting this show. And the reason I am is because of the man who's on the phone right now, Brad Ring, the publisher of BYO Magazine and the force behind all of the other great products that come out of BYO, uh, including now podcasts and conferences and a lot of things focused on nano brewing. First of all, Brad, thanks for the job. And second of all, <laughs> You're welcome. how are you doing? Great, great. It's uh, great to have you on board, John. been a big fan of... Uh yours and your your articles uh and books over the years in in beer and home brewing and uh it's great to have you on board the uh, byo team and specifically uh hosting our new monthly nano podcast so thanks and you've been sort of diving into the nano brew industry and the nano brew culture of beer, which is not something that that often gets a lot of recognition, although it really should be because it's it's fueling a lot of the growth right now. What do you see as the state of nano brewing specifically in America right now? Sure. You know, it's 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 interesting. We've uh, Brewer owns actually this year celebrating our 25th anniversary and uh it's primarily been focused on, on how to homebrewing, but about five, six years ago, we saw a definite move uh, with some of our readership into an interest in becoming uh, not only pro brewers, uh, but small scale pro brewers. And uh, due to different changes in state laws, allowing uh, tap rooms to be associated with breweries on site and uh, evolution in small-scale brewing equipment uh, coming coming quite a long way instead of having to make it yourself. Um, there's been a lot of lot of movement that way. 
and a lot of the former barriers to entry to get into uh, the pro ranks uh, have really been, the hurdles been uh, lowered quite a bit. Um, so we saw, saw the trends going in that direction with, with our readership, uh, as well as a lot of uh, people involved in the homebrew industry, whether they were on the equipment or on the supply side, uh, talking more and more that they were seeing those same trends as well. So right now, what what we've got is uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the growth, especially new brewery openings, um, are coming from this smallest niche segment within the craft beer industry, and we're defining it really as uh, just as a starting point. It's not a not a hard definition by any means, but uh, five barrels to one barrel brewing systems is how we're defining nano uh, for the purposes of uh, you know, trying to uh, get our arms around the uh, the niche itself, and uh, lots of lots of positive things happening. You know, unlike it's it's insulated somewhat from some of the uh, challenges that that the craft beer industry, especially the larger players, are, are facing in terms of uh, more and more uh, competition for shelf space for tap handles. Um, a lot of these guys, the, the small-scale nanobrewers, are really in control of their own destiny when it comes to distribution since they're selling the majority, if not all, of their beer right over the, their own countertops and keeping that margin for themselves. So, uh, so they've been able to, to make that work, and obviously uh, you know, a lot of the, the debt load and, and other things are much lower as well since the uh, investment to get in both on the equipment side and facilities, you know, tends to be a lot lower. Yeah. The word disruptor is used in, in a lot of industries, but, but certainly the, the small breweries have been that, uh, I think as you know, we hit like 8,000 in the country now or close to, to 8,000 in the country. So many of them are actually really small. Um, so what has the company BYO, I guess in general been doing to speak to this audience? Sure, sure. So we, we, we wanted to still be able to uh, uh, to help those readers of ours that were making that move from the homebrewing ranks into this uh, small-scale pro-brewer uh, arena. And uh, a couple years ago, we decided to add into the mix uh, a quarterly column in the magazine itself about nano-brewing and address not only the brewing side, because um, they're it's not always just cranking up the volume of beer that you're making compared to uh, a home brewer, um, but then also addressing some of the uh, real blind spots that we've seen over the years uh, for a lot of the people who are making that leap. And that's, that's more on the business and marketing side and understanding what it takes to run a successful brewing business. You know, each, each business, whether it's publishing or, or podcasting or, or what have you, they have their own quirks and, and their own special needs and, and targeted needs. And nano is, is no different in that. In, in fact, nano brewing has a lot of specific needs and business models that are totally different from uh, their larger craft beer brothers um, and sisters. So it's, it's our ability to kind of address that, that niche within a niche um, with this small scale brewing. So we, we started with the column. Uh, we also uh, two years ago rolled out a 
nano brewing specific uh, two-day conference called NanoCon. Uh, had our first one. We're based in Vermont. Had our first one in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, and then this past year, we were out in the Portland, Oregon area. Uh, and then in 2020, in November 6 and 7, we'll be in San Diego with the same event. And the idea, again, is, is to have seminars and workshops, um, not only for brewing operations, uh, we also cover startups, uh, but also uh, to address sales and marketing and, and business operations as well. So really trying to give people all the different tools that and, and the access to uh, experts who have a specific craft beer focus as well. Uh, so that's what we've been doing the last couple of years. And then uh, we've also added a monthly email newsletter with stories of interest across those different uh, subjects for uh, people that are interested in either getting into nano brewing or are already into it. And now, of course, uh, with this episode one, uh, uh, getting into the podcast. So uh, our hope throughout the year is to have every two weeks have either the email newsletter or this uh, podcast coming out to, to give a regular stream of information for, uh, for folks that often when they go to uh, you know, larger scale uh, craft brewing events, th there may not be uh, as much targeted to, to their scale or business model. And, and that's really the goal, I think, for this podcast is there's a lot uh, of information that's out there on, you know, how to brew and uh, talking about specific ingredients or, or, or processes. But uh, when running a business and, you know, uh, knowing about, you know, uh, finance or knowing about legal issues or knowing about, you know, just liability uh, of running a business, um, that's that's challenging no matter your size. But when you also have a, a brewing component as well, it can seem kind of daunting. So. I think over the, the, the next couple of months or every month when we're doing this, um, we're going to be talking to folks to, to really help our listeners uh, understand their business and, and hopefully thrive even more. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the goal is to, uh, to, to hope, hopefully make them be as successful as they can be in their pursuits. And uh, it's one thing to, grew, uh, to brew great beer, uh, which we hope. Uh, all these nano brewers are doing out there, uh, but it's another thing to to make it a successful business and a sustainable business. Um, and 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 the, the interesting thing too is is I think that the nano brewing really ties into some some larger uh, uh, trends out there in terms of the whole hyper local movement um, that you see a, a, across a lot of different industries. So um, it's got a lot going for it, and and it, I think it continues and will have uh, lots of opportunities moving forward uh, for these nano brewers. And we just want to, uh, with, with your interviews, with this podcast, uh, as well as the events that we're putting on and, and other efforts, uh, we want them to be uh, successful and, uh, and be around for the long haul. Excellent. So we're going to be doing this every month. And we're going to be talking about everything from uh, taproom marketing strategies and forecasting sales and investment dollars for, for launch and growth and legal accounting, insurance brewing and beyond. Uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope people uh, enjoy this episode one and, and certainly subscribe and get ready for new episodes monthly. Well, that's great. And I, I appreciate, uh, again, having, having you on board uh, to, to lead the way on this, this podcast. And we're, we're excited to... Uh, be getting into the, the podcast side of things with, uh, with you at the mic. 
Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. And I uh, guess we're going to get on with the rest of the show now. All right, great. Thanks a lot, John. Cheers. Now it's time for some practical advice from an industry expert. We're focusing on finance this month, and Audra Gazunas of Brood for Her Ledger is here to talk about and to help you understand basic financial literacy for your small business. In the brewing industry, this is especially important in the wake of recent closures of breweries that many thought as successful. Why understanding a cash flow statement is critically important and what you should be thinking about for the future is the topic du jour. Here's Audra in her own words. Well, I, my name is Audrey Gajunas, and I own Brood for Her Ledger, which is a management consultancy firm focused on financials and operations for the craft industry. So that is not just craft beer. It's also distilleries and cider makers, kombucha makers. But primarily, I would say 90% of my business comes from breweries. I'm also the CEO of Bramari Brewing Company in Asheville, North Carolina, which is where I reside. And I travel coast to coast to teach breweries financials and financial ratios and really like help them slay their own current business model, whatever that may be. So it's not a one-size-fits-all type of service that I provide. It's custom-tailored to each brewery's business model and goals and what they define as success metrics. So it's been really awesome being a fractional CEO, CFO for Ooh, um, like a little bit close to almost a decade now. And I've worked with over 200 breweries at this point, mostly startups and expansions, but every so often just, you know, checking under the hood to make sure that things are operating smoothly. And if they're not, how can we correct it? Um, my biggest goal is to make sure that you don't close. And if you do close, you close with the greatest amount of value um, that you could potentially have. So uh, it's a really positive job. I, I work in a circle of chaos often, bringing some order to chaos, but I love it. I'm busy every day and I wouldn't want it any other way. <laughs> in the wake of recent closures that we have seen over the last year or so, understanding financial literacy, having a basic financial literacy has become more paramount than ever. It is absolutely paramount. We have to be able to discern the difference between an income statement and a cash flow statement and the importance that the cash flow statement plays within the beer industry, especially as a nano, because we are going to be making tougher decisions from the very get-go that will financially impact us more than they would for a larger operation. So basic financial literacy is paramount now more than ever. Well, the biggest misconception that people have is that they view the income statement and the cash flow as interchangeable. You know, I'll, I'll vet a business plan and they'll provide me their financials and they show me their income statement and their income statement and the cash flow are the same thing. And they're not the same thing, not even close. You can show a profit year after year, but if you run out of cash, which is not reflected on the profit and loss statement, there's no way for you to operate. So it's really understanding the inflows and outflows of your business that is not necessarily reflected on the profit and loss. You can show a $40,000, $50,000, $200,000 profit, but if you're managing your cash poorly, 
you're going to close. And it, it appears to be successful, but if you're over-investing in inventory, that's an example of a poor cash flow management practice. Or if you are uh, ensnared in too much debt, that is not necessarily going to be reflect on the, on the profit and loss. The only thing that you'll see is the interest expense. But that principal payment, you don't see that anywhere. And that's a huge, huge gobble up of cash. So from the start, from the very get-go, it's really being able to discern the difference between those two statements. And then when you're creating your pro forma, setting up a cash flow statement using the indirect method, that's what we accounting nerds like to call, uh, according to generally accepted accounting principles, but really it sets up the inflows and outflows of your business from your operations, from your investments, and your from financial perspective to see how many months of cash you have on hand for the first 36 months that you'll be open, for example. It's really important to know that. We underestimate the value of working capital and the need of working capital. So a startup is often not asking for a large enough loan as they're getting started. And um, all the overages and contingencies that they hadn't put into their plan for their build out often come out of working capital so that when they open, I find like they'll have one month's worth of cash on hand for their operations, for their intended operations when they should have three. So they're starting off from the very beginning, short-sighting themselves and shorting themselves on cash that'll just feel like they're constantly behind on paying bills when it was an easily avoidable mistake. So it's really understanding that cash flow statement, setting that up from the startup perspective. And then if you're deciding to go through an expansion, really understanding what your fixed overhead is and what your um, actual outflows are on a monthly basis, and then adjusting for those going forward, really looking and aligning your overhead with your future demand. So those, those are the biggest issues. The biggest pitfall is that people look at it as cash flow and profit and loss interchangeably, and they are remarkably different statements, and we are ruled by cash. We're a capital-intensive industry. We are industry in, um, in a very inventory heavy that we really need to utilize our inventory efficiently and effectively. And because of that, cash rules us as a brewing industry rather than the profit and loss. The profit and loss is important, but the cash flow statement is much more important. The amount of, of debt that they have in relation to their equity and how much of their outflows are going to those principal payments. They're not paying attention as much to the interest rate because they just wanted to get open. So they took out debt at whatever rate that they could. And oftentimes that is credit cards. Um, I have been included as part of it, which are you know 15%, 19% for some. And that that's not value add spend. It's just going away to the banks. And then the other side of that with that's cash flow related is the overinvestment into inventory. They believe that just because they have a price break for ordering a certain quantity of something, that that is going to be effective for them. That's a great decision for them. Well, that cash that's been tied into that inventory could have been spent elsewhere and been turned into more cash for them in that 30 days or 60 days or 90 days of inventory that they have on hand at that point in time. So it's really the overinvestment inventory, really misunderstanding the cost of debt, 
that you know they should be able to provide and calculate their debt equity ratio as well as their weighted average cost of capital, which is how much it costs for them to run their operations and try to minimize the amount of interest that they're paying on that. So going through an annual budget planning process, but then revising that quarterly, that's a big thing. And then understanding the financial ratios that tie the balance sheet, think of statement the cash flow together, uh, paying close attention to their quick ratio, their current ratio, making sure those are above one, each one of them, if possible. Understanding their debt equity ratio, the day sales that they have on inventory, their inventory turnover, and their benchmarks that the Brewers Association publishes by size of operation, by the type of operation, whether you're a production brewery or a brew pub, and there are benchmarks there that you can find as a starting point. And then you tailor those benchmarks to your business model. So the breweries that are doing that, that are looking at the benchmarks and their financial ratios and tailoring it to their specific business model and following that are the ones that I find to be the most successful. So it's really understanding what those ratios are, what they mean, and how they can impact those. So financial ratios and budgeting, going through an annual budgeting process, those are the two big things. These closures may seem like they are overnight, but they are never overnight. These are usually three to six to eight month time lapses that are occurring where the owners are often in denial of, the, of this happening or they're not sure. But if you're starting to feel like you're running behind on payments or you're running out of cash to make payroll, like you have to pull a short-term loan out to make payroll for this period or to pay all of your bills, that's usually a sign that something is wrong. And it's people allow that to perpetuate and continue on for months at a time without really looking at what their ratios are and where they're spending that money. So occupancy costs are a big uh, culprit of that. It's not value at spend, but if your occupancy costs, which is your lease, and if you have a triple net lease, it's those costs that are also wrapped in there. So your property insurance is one and your taxes, your property taxes are included in there, plus your utilities. So really your triple net lease costs plus your utilities if they are exceeding more than 10% of your revenues, then that's an issue because you're spending too much, not relation to sales, and it's leaving you less cash, or not enough cash to invest back into your operation. So that means you can't spend money on marketing to bring additional people in and you're kind of stuck. You won't be able to have a new position without taking out additional debt, for, so, for example. But it's really understanding your financial ratios. Again, I come back to the current ratio and the quick ratio. What does that mean? Are you spending too much uh, or not making enough sales? Or are you over-invested in inventory? Are you paying off your bills too quickly? Or we have this temptation in this industry that if we get a little bit of additional cash during the summer, hey, I'm gonna pay off all my credit card debt now. And uh, even if it's 0% interest, because I don't like to have that obligation. Well, that's not necessarily the best spend. Or that's when you purchase the two FVs that you're looking for, that you wanted to, to be able to buy, you just weren't sure, but now you have enough cash to do it. It should really be more of a carefully planned out process rather than, well, we have enough cash to do it, so let's do it now. It should be part of that annual budgeting process. So decisions are often made based on the cash that is in the bank rather than a carefully thought out plan. 
and that often catches up with you during those slower months. Or if you have uh, one or two batches of, of bad beer, like you stuck fermentation or whatever it may be that causes you to dump it, that you are banking on that cash to come in and it won't be coming in. That ash, if you're if you're going through a distribution network and your beer is in distro, that whole cash cycle is 90 days for you to get and recoup that money that you have spent on those ingredients in order to brew the beer. That's the average, 65 to 85 days. So if you have a bad batch of beer, you're really shorting yourself for a three-month time period without really knowing it. So again, careful cash flow planning. Have a cash flow set up on a monthly basis for 36 months, especially as you're getting open. And then as you're operating, you can reduce that to a quarterly basis. But oftentimes when I work with startups, I have them put together their cash flow and really analyze it over a 36-month time period. And a closure doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's been going for a while. And I usually hear it when the landlord isn't being paid for four or five months at a time. It's been like the fifth month that they've been shorted their rent. So they call me to come in to look at what's going on. Well, at that point, I can't turn that ship around necessarily. So we make the best of the situation. But uh, really understanding what those ratios are and uh, from, the, from the liquidity perspective, as well as the inventory efficiency perspective. So those are the two biggest spends that we have. And uh, we definitely want to be able to, to gauge those, to measure those. So if you are a startup, small brewer, nano brewer, and it's the beginning of the new year, what should your financial New Year's resolution be? Should be really take a class on financials through your small business development corporation, your SBDC. Uh, most communities have one. It's a nonprofit. They offer classes for free. Take a QuickBooks class. Take a basic financial literacy class and really understand the core financial statements of a brewery. And that's just your balance sheet, your income statement, your cash flow statement. Be able to discern the difference between an income statement and a cash flow statement. The resources are available to you. So take the time. I promise you it will pay off in spades. Um, I'm Audra Gajunas, broodforherledger.com. And you can get a hold of me by phone at 919-538-4404. Or shoot me a message through my website or through my Facebook. Root for her ledger. Cheers. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Yakima Valley Hops. Check them out at yakimavalleyhops.com. David Levesque has the traditional homebrewer story. He'd been making his own beer for years and found himself at a party one night where folks were enjoying his creation. Someone said, hey, you should open your own place. And he actually took it to heart. The next day, he started working on a business plan, looked at the marketplace, and opened up professionally with what was basically his homebrew system. In this episode's BYO Nano Brewery Profile, I sat down with David during the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines Festival. We start off by talking about his first four years of operation, and I was curious to know if he had any regrets about starting off so small. Um, it's been the best ride so far of my life. Um, I just, you know, and we opened up in 2015. In 2017, January, I left Lockheed Martin. So I left a major company just to, you know, follow my dream, passion. 
I think there's a lot of homebrewers out there who have been told, hey, your beer is really good. Uh, you should open up your own. And there's always that sense of nervousness. There's always that sense of, is this the right thing to do? And I mean, the market, especially now in 2020, the way that it is, is so turbulent that it can be harder to open even than when it was for you four years ago. Yeah. How did you, what spoke to you that it was the right thing to do and that it was the right time to open? Well, a lot of it was, it was beer. Um, you know, my passion for beer, my passion for good beer, quality beer, craft beer. Um, there's not really much out there by Buckley Air Force Base. Um, we had Dry Dock, the OGs of uh, Aurora. And those guys kind of taught me how to homebrew and everything over at the brew hut. And, uh, you know, they just, they didn't, we didn't have anything out there. And it was like, why don't we create something by the Buckley Air Force Base for the Air Force members. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, for the Air Force members to go and uh, give a try, and and that's kind of what what spoke to me. Let's let's try something different. Let's try something new. Let's try something that we hadn't seen been done. Um, you know, kind of a homebrew setup in a commercial setting. And I'm like, let's see if we can make it work. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, well, we gave it our best. But um, we were we were just hoping for the best and jump in. That strikes me as really cavalier in a lot of ways just because it is a business and it is money that you're presumably putting forward or getting investors to put forward like there's there's more at stake than just brewing in your garage on a saturday and, and passing it around like when you decide to go like passion you need it a thousand percent but what about the business side of things well that's it i mean i just uh <clears throat> when we started uh, thinking about what we were going to do i i just did my homework um, did my business plan, went out, did my research with other breweries, seeing how everybody's operating. Is there a market for it? Um, we started ultra small on a homebrew alpha ruby system, uh, one barrel system that we upgraded to a one and a quarter. But we didn't, the build out was expensive, but we knew that we needed to sell very little beer to turn a profit on what we started. And that was the big thing for us is, how do we get into it, see if there's a demand, see if there's a reason to be here mm -hmm. without risking everything? And, you know, working for Lockheed Martin, I had a pretty nice paycheck and it was able to fund a lot of it. So we were jumping in with both feet, but at the same time, we weren't taking huge loans. We weren't doing anything too outrageous that if it didn't work, it, it, you know, it, we would be out. Um, and, it, and that kind of just helped ease the mind ease the heart into what we what we have today and that was the conscious decision to stay small then yeah yeah it was um let's see let's see what we got first you know why go out and drop a couple million dollars on something we're not sure if it's going to work um now that being said we've kind of uh had to grow and uh, a little faster than what we you know what we started but it's it's been fun it's what, been a what's a time. good example of growing faster than <clears throat> So right now, you know, our products become so popular and everybody wants to get it that, you know, here we're trying to figure out a canning system for this year. You know, 2020, we're going to try to figure out a canning system, get, get our beer out there to people that, you know, not necessarily. I mean, we are in Aurora. We're out by Buckley Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. And it's a drive for a lot of people. And our word, word of our brewery has traveled um, from all over the, the city, Denver Metro. So... It, to be able to get the beer out there a little bit further for guys so they're not having to drive cross town and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, it's just it's gone, it's gone crazy. We went from, I think, 300 barrels our first year 
to we just uh, rang in 803 barrels um, 2019. So in four years, that's kind of a, a big growth for us. But 300 barrels on a one and a quarter barrel system. I mean, you guys must have just been. I, I mean, that just sounds. It sounds a little mental. Yeah, it was a uh, it was tough, you know. And then uh, so the first year I was there basically by myself. Um, we didn't get Paul, my head brewer. I brought him in as an assistant brewer it's a little Paul bit. Paul Mahoney. Paul Mahoney, yeah. yeah. I brought him in about uh, I think eight nine months in too. Um, as an assistant brewer and then kind of, you know, I was doing both gigs. I was doing Lockheed Martin and the brewery and, uh, I was like, Hey, I'm going to need some help. Cause we're, we're really ramping up. But yeah, we went from, uh, I think 305 to like 420 to 593 to 8.03. What did you learn about, because there, there, there are such differences from when you're a home brewer, even going professionally as a nano, like there's so much. There's a steeper learning curve um, once you go pro. What do you think you learned, or what do you think is the most valuable thing you learned over those four years as you saw this growth happening? So one of the good things that we did is when I decided to do this, I went ahead and purchased the system, and I was brewing on the Ruby Street in my garage um, with one barrel fermenters. I was ramping it up and learning the system. So that when we did open, we knew going forward, like, okay, I'm not going to have that learning curve because we've, we've been practicing. We've been brewing on the system. I know how to operate it. The only thing is, is where we're at, you know, instead of my garage, now I've got a controlled environment, bigger fermenters and everything like that. Now, that being said, every, every step we've taken to grow has been a step that we've researched and we've talked to other breweries. We see how they're doing operations, and we've got to play on other brewery systems before we decided to go to a five barrel. Um, you know, everybody's like, "Well, you know, you went to a five barrel; it's not that big. It's four times what we were on." Yeah. So, I mean, that's a big jump if you think of it. Oh, going from a five to a twenty—that's a four-time jump. So we were we were out researching, learning, and just every step of the way, so that when we made that transition, we wouldn't lose that quality. We could just kind of maintain. And I think the, the greatest thing that's helped us is the slow growth. Um, I say slow growth. Everybody else is like, you guys are growing fast. But we've, we've done it kind of in a, um, a manner that, is, that, I can, that I can wrap my head around. Um, that we know, okay, when we take this step, this is what we're going to expect. Let's slow down. Let's, all right, we're going to start canning. Let's let's go talk to other canner, you know, canning breweries, and let's see what they're running, and see what their issues are, and what their successes are, and just research. Um, there's so many there's so many things out there now for research uh, between the internet and everything else we have going on, podcasts and magazines, and the the information's out there. It's just a matter of looking at it, finding it, and then uh, being able to step into it. Is there a benefit of going slow? Because I I, I think we've been on such a trajectory with beer in the last couple of years where it's you know how big how fast how everything it pumping the brakes just a little bit yeah sounds counterintuitive to running a business especially when you want to gain market share or to uh, add more capacity or to get your hands and in, in your beer into the hands of more customers what do you see as the benefit of just taking a breath so one of the things the, the biggest benefit for us is knowing that if something were to happen, we're, we're good. Something you know, like if, what? if, okay, the market crashes, beer market crashes. 
Okay, we're seeing breweries start to go out of business. We're seeing breweries that have been around for tens of years yeah. start to start to go down. Absolutely. And it, it it's a little nerve-wracking. So the idea is for us, as, as far as our mentality goes, if I've got food in my belly and a roof over my head and we're making our daily payments and we're making our day, what, what else do we need? Um, we're having fun. We're having a good time. We're laughing. We're joking. We, I mean, we're goofing off. We're up in Breckenridge right now. Yeah. We're at the big uh, beers festival. Yeah. Yeah. Just up here working <laughs> Man, yeah. per se, you know, um, we got a nice and, view of the, uh, the snowy yeah, mountains exactly. out the window and, uh, it's gorgeous. You guys so, were tearing it up last night at the bar. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's, you know, it's, it's quality of life. It comes down to what do you need in your life at the end of the day? Do you need all this riches and famous and, or do you want just to do something, make a quality product and have fun? Does that still speak to the home brewer in you as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, a lot of the decisions we make on a daily basis are because of the home brewer aspect. Um, I just, it's nice to grow and be bigger and be able to provide something, but there's something to be said about the small, like the cheers atmosphere, you know, to be cliche. Uh, when you come in, I mean, I bartend a couple days a week. Um, what other brewery do you see that has the owner of Brewmaster bartending? Is that by nature of your size or is that because of choice? That's because of choice. Okay. I want to make sure I'm there for the customers. If there's something wrong, I want to hear about it. If there's something good, I want to hear about it. They know they can come in and talk to me anytime. One of the things that I was struck with is in looking through your website, 30 different beers on tap. Yeah. Yeah. We have 31 taps. Um, currently, we're running 30. I don't have a spontaneous sour. Um, it's in the barrel. I've got to pull out. I just haven't had time. Um, but it's ready to go. So then we'll have 31 beers on tap. Um, currently, we're sitting with five beers in hold that need to come out that I don't have taps for. So on a five barrel system, are you doing, are these just simple five barrel batches and when it's done, it's done or more or less or like what's the. Yeah. So out of the 31 taps, we run about 10 uh, flagships. Okay. So those are usually double batched into a 15 barrel fermenter. Um, we can get about six barrels out of it on the lower ABV beers. So we double batch in 12 barrels and then we can kind of have our flagships on, but everything else is a five barrel and we still, you know, it might be a flagship and we do a five barrel and then three weeks later we do another five barrel of the same batch and just kind of keep it rolling. How do you, 30 beers just strikes me as a lot. And I know that we're conditioned towards choice these days. And I was really struck by looking through this list where you have a lot of classic styles, Kolsch, Hefeweizen, Weizenbach, uh, you had an Amber Ale, an Oatmeal Stout, uh, and then you get into some of the, you know, the weirder, more esoteric, um, you know, blueberry Belgians and barrel aged Saisons and coffee blondes and that kind of yeah. thing. Is it just, are, are, are you following a model? Are you thinking about what it is you want on tap at any given time? Or is it like, hey, let's do this just because it sounds fun and you have a small system and you can screw around with it? Yeah, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, we do definitely, we always try to keep like a session IPA on. We always try to keep a hazy IPA on, a West Coast IPA. We always try to keep something fruited. We always try to keep a Saison on. So we, we try to keep certain styles on. Um, one of the things we noticed, especially in today's market, um, individuals want change. We have Kolsch, we have all the flagships on, but we put a new beer, one beer or two beers a week. Uh, every week you come in, there's a new beer on. And what that does is that allows people to say, hey, oh, they got something new. Let's try that new thing. Okay, cool. 
I like it, but I'm going to go back to Kolsch. And do you find that with your customer base that somebody will come in and what's, if you have a regular customer who comes in, what's their first pint versus what's their second pint? So typically their first pint's going to be whatever I put on that week. Okay. Um, they're always, with our customer base, they're always going to grab the new beer that's okay. out. Um, and if they really like it, they might stick with it, but a lot of the times, I mean, they're, they're hardcore like, Oh no, we like the half. I'm going to have a pint of whatever you came out with and I'm going to go to my flagship. Okay. Um, so, but then we'll get times where we run and we run some, like, uh, some beers that just blow up and just go nuts. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh wait, we had a run on that beer, you know? So it just depends. And then do you formulate your future plans based off of that? I would like to say yes, but no. Um, so we do, uh, to be, the truth be told, uh, we, we wing it a lot. I wing it a lot there at the brewery. Um, we really don't know what's going to be brewed. Um, it depends. Sometimes we're like, all right, let's brew this. And oh wait, we don't have the ingredients. All right, well, let's brew this. Um, we do wing a lot. And I think that aspect of it allows us to be a little bit more flexible than having to be so stringent on styles. We can kind of come up what feels good for the day. I mean, we might get in a lot of times we are making recipes in the morning of and like, like you would do in a homebrew, you know, make your recipe in the morning of go to the brew shop, pick up your ingredients and then come back. That strikes me as again, like kind of fun, but also a little cavalier. Do, do you find that you have to dump batches at some point if something doesn't work out? No, we're, we're four years old and we've dumped three batches. Okay. Yeah. In four, four, oh, four and a half years. Um, the three batches that we dumped, one had a flavor profile we weren't happy with. We tried to use a combination of herbs and spices and it just wasn't, just wasn't, wasn't for our, for our tasting. Um, the other one was a, a miscalculation on, uh, cleaning procedures mm -hmm. on chemical and it was a bad bad thing we moved in and then the uh the final one was a barrel that it just didn't turn out the way we wanted so we've been really successful on uh coming up with new ideas and being able to come up with ideas that, that work um and you know we have our base recipes that we like to use and, mm -hmm. and you know being doing this we research a lot every day on uh what grains are out there, what we're, what we're working with. But, uh, yeah, no, we've been really lucky with it. Um, just kind of awesome. winging it. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're like, well, you know, I think it was two years ago. My employees are teasing me about it. I was like, we had a meeting at the beginning of the year and I'm like, okay guys, we're getting bigger. We got, we can't keep winning, winging it. You know, let's, let's start getting a little focused and two years later, we're still winging it. So when it comes to ingredients, given your size, what do you find are the benefits, but also the limitations of what you're able to get your hands on when you want to get your hands on them? So the benefits are that I don't need a ton of ingredients. Mm -hmm. um, being five barrel, you know, I just picked up 44 pounds of Galaxy. Well, okay, I was able to get it. Um, being a bigger system, you know, you would be have to order four times as much, five times as much for a batch. So I'm able to get the ingredients. Uh, Limitation-wise, they're a little bit more expensive because I can't contract them. Um, we're not ordering huge amounts of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be the limitation. But it, we've really found that when we need something special, it's, it's nice because I don't have to order a ton of it. 
and you know find a 44 pound box of galaxy hops there's plenty of breweries out there that are like oh yeah i can give up 44 that are huge and it's easier to find ingredients that way but it at the end of the day it's also you know 44 pounds for us on a small system is expensive so it brings the cost of the beer up a little bit but you know at the end of the day if somebody you know they understand uh consumers are very smart nowadays um especially in the beer world um they're learning a lot they understand when they get a, a hazy ipa or uh, a barrel aged beer that you know there's a lot of time there's a lot of uh resources that go into them so they're not they're not hesitant on paying a little bit more for them mm-hmm. knowing that it's going to be a little bit more expensive what do you wish you knew before you opened up that you know now? <laughs> How much work it is. Um, you know, everybody, we joke about it like, oh, open a brewery, brew beer, make beer, sell beer, have fun. There's so much, uh, there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes um, between social media, food trucks, um, ingredient acquisition, uh, growing, growth, customers. Um, there's just... There's a ton of stuff that you don't really think of as a business. Um, you think, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to brew some beer. I'm going to put it on tap. People are going to come in and buy it. Um, there's so much more that goes into it that it would have been, and I don't think you're ever going to be able to find like, oh, like I knew that going in um, because you just not going to, unless you're hanging around a brewery or another business full time to be able to see that. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it was a, a lot of stuff that goes on on a daily basis. Um, you know, even I mean, to think about like just coming up here to Breckenridge for big beers. Now I've brought four of my guys: me, my head brewer, my distribution manager, and one of my beer tenders. Well, we're a staff of ten, so that leaves me with six back home. So now I got to figure out how to manage the brewery with six people. Well, two of my guys are reservists, so they have drill this week. Yeah. So now I'm down to four people to manage the whole weekend. So stuff like that, that you just have to think, you know, okay, if, if timing's going to be bad, it's going to be bad. It always seems to happen when we're away or whatever. So just being able to manage stuff like that, I think that's kind of, that's where our rolling nature of uh, winging it kind of helps because we can kind of just ebb and flow with it yeah. instead of, oh, hardcore, it's got to be this way. You know, we got to brew this on this day and we got to brew this on this day and you know, Paul Mahoney, my head brewer, injures himself. So now, you know, he's out and he's not brewing for a week or two. Sure. So now it's like, okay, well, how do I jump in? How do I brew? And then make sure that everything else gets done. Yeah. So stuff like that. Well, David, thanks for sitting down with me. I really appreciate this and uh, on the inaugural uh, launch of this podcast. Yeah, no, this is exciting. I'm really happy to be on. So cool. Cheers. Cheers. As we close out this first episode of the BYO Nano Brewing Podcast, our thanks to the episode sponsor, Yakima Valley Hops. Yakima Valley Hops is your hop source, whether you're brewing 10 gallons or 10 barrels. Get all the hops you want when you want them. They source the highest quality hops from both the Yakima Valley and premium growing regions around the world so that you have access to the largest hop portfolio possible, even the impossible to find varieties like Citra, Nelson Savin, and Galaxy. Retail orders, go to yakimavalleyhops.com or for wholesale, spothops.com. Head over to byo.com and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great home brewing content. We will be releasing new episodes on the 15th of each month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. 
And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com. Or you can follow us and talk to us on all of the BYO social media channels. And our thanks to Scott McCampbell for supplying the music on this podcast. And save the dates on your calendar for this year's NanoCon, taking place in San Diego, November 6th and 7th. Full program details on the two days of brewing and business seminars targeted for nanobreweries is already up and running or in planning and will be released at nanocon.beer in March. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer, and I hope you'll tune into those as well. The Nano Brewing segment is really fueling beer these days, and in the months to come, I'm excited to dive into the aspects, cultural, creative, and business, that this part of the industry has to offer, and I hope you'll continue to tune in. Thanks again, cheers, and let's go have a pint. <laughs>